This is the Engineering Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Avi Noda. This week's guest is Irini Kaliambaku, a staff researcher at GitHub focused on AI and developer experience. Irini sits at the forefront of research into GitHub Copilot. I'm frequently asked by leaders for advice on AI coding assistance, so that's the focus of this episode. We start by discussing recent research that Irini has co-published that provides data on ways that AI coding assistants impact developer productivity. We then get her advice on how leaders should trial and build business cases for these tools and how to drive successful adoption. We wrap up with a preview of what's to come with AI tools and implications for how we measure developer productivity. If you're interested in AI coding assistance or are looking into adoption at your organization, this episode is filled with great tips and advice. Of note, in this episode, Irini talks a lot about using surveys to measure the impact of AI tools. For a free guide on using surveys to measure developer productivity, go to getdx.com survey. Again, that's getdx.com survey. Now, without further ado, we'll jump right into the episode. I hope you enjoyed listening. Irini, so great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be here. So I emailed you a few weeks ago because I'd just gotten back from a conference where I was talking with lots of leaders, to no surprise, who were talking about GitHub Copilot. And one thing that kept coming up was that they were struggling to find ways to measure it, to tell a story around it, to justify it. So I emailed you because I thought, who better to talk to than you? So here we are. To start off, you've been at the forefront of the AI developer tool revolution, if I can call it that. Share with listeners a high-level overview of what your research focus has been for the past year and a half. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. So the last year and a half has been pretty wild in terms of research. A lot of it has been focused on AI and how AI gets adopted. And more specifically on GitHub Copilot, we did a lot of evaluations. So my, my research was focused on evaluating how Copilot is used by developers, by teams, by organizations, and what are its effects. And this was both to help us in terms of making decisions on how we develop and we we build the product out and where we direct our investments, but also as a way for us to broadcast outward because you know AI is a change and with change comes like challenge about like what is, is it in it for me. So we wanted to broadcast outwards what is it that people can expect as they adopt AI tools in terms of effects and benefits. One of the most visible studies I think that's been done on AI developer tools is the study on Copilot that you co-published last year. So I wanna start by doing a deep dive on that study. To begin with, take us back to that moment when you began that study. What was the context and what were the biggest questions that you were aiming to answer with that study? Yeah, so, The study that we're talking about involves a large-scale survey. This was at the time where Copilot, GitHub Copilot, was still in technical preview. So that was before June 2022. We had hundreds of thousands of people trying out and using Copilot daily that were in the technical preview. And like, what better opportunity to understand how Copilot is used and what its effects are when, like, than having this kind of large uh, population of people. So the motivation was for us to understand what is the experience that people are having with GitHub Copilot. And so we designed this large-scale survey 
as our means of understanding. I will say that before the large scale survey, we also did a round of interviews, which is one of my favorite things to do. If I am going to design a survey interview first, to know what is it that we're even measuring. So yeah, in terms of the, the motivation was to see what the experience is. And then we realized that we can use the survey results in a couple of ways. One was to understand the productivity effects. And I'm using productivity here in the most holistic way possible. I know that you know a lot about that as well. So we use the space framework to kind of operationalize productivity. But we also correlated what we were getting from the survey responses with a lot of telemetry that we were able to have by having people use compiling the technical preview. For listeners who, you know, you probably piqued their curiosity with the aim of this study and trying to measure the impact on productivity, take listeners a little bit through the discussion and the thought around how you defined and measured productivity for this study. Some people might immediately think, oh, like you correlated the use of Copilot to the number of pull requests or something like that. So take listeners through how you approach this problem. Yes, Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. So uh, there were a couple of things that we needed to figure out from a research perspective, right? One was how do we capture productivity through our survey questions, right? That meant that we have to define it and we have to create questions that are able to capture it through the survey. I mentioned that we use the space framework. The space framework has these five dimensions of productivity. It does include activity. So how much of something people are doing and the rate at which they're doing it, but it also includes things like satisfaction, efficiency, flow that are equally important and sometimes overlooked. So we designed the survey with the space framework in mind, which means we translated into questions all of the different dimensions of the space framework. That was on the one side, right? How we get the information through the survey. On the other side, we had a lot of telemetry that it was mostly focused because we were talking about AI and we were talking about GitHub Copilot specifically. There were a lot more to do with acceptance rates of Copilot, right? So Copilot, just a top level description, produces and suggests code, like generates and suggests code to developers as they are typing. So we wanted to see how the acceptance rate of Copilot correlates what we were seeing in the survey as self-reported productivity. I will say that there was also a kind of like self-serve reason why we did this. At the time, I think we had something like 11 or 12 variations of the acceptance metric that we were keeping. And you know this as well as I do, setting up telemetry and instrumentation and actually maintaining it over time to get all this information is extremely costly. So we were also looking to condense. We were thinking it's unlikely that all these 11, 12 metrics of acceptance rate are equally informative and equally useful. So can we condense them? So through the correlation, not only were we able to show that self-reported effects that people get from Copilot correlate with how they're they're using the tool and the productivity that we see in terms of acceptance rate, but it also helped us move away from maintaining 11 versions of acceptance rate into one or two that were the most helpful. That's really interesting. I want to list off just for listeners some of the types of things that the exact measures or factors that you studied. So you had things like perceived productivity, which was the statement, I am more productive. 
for satisfaction and well-being, things around frustration levels when coding, fulfillment in the job, satisfaction with work. And for efficiency and flow, you had things like faster completion, speed of completing repetitive tasks, feeling more in the flow, less time searching. I'm sure we'll talk about some of these things more in depth later. But take listeners through, so you conducted the study. What were some of the key findings? Yeah, so... One of the key findings that I just mentioned was the fact that we saw this correlation between the acceptance rate. So people using the tool in this like productivity mode of accepting the code that is suggested and correlate and that being strongly correlated with all these aspects of productivity that you mentioned, right? Not just the top level statement of I feel more productive when I'm using Copilot, but also all these other parts that you mentioned. The other key takeaways that kicked off a lot of interest afterwards to look into into things a little bit more was how high the percentage of respondents was that mentioned getting benefits in terms of being able to stay more in the flow when they're using Copilot, being more fulfilled with their job, being able to conserve mental energy as they're working on repetitive tasks. And of course, the you know all-time favorite or the thing that we started from, which was that People feel that they're completing tasks faster with Copilot. I would say that that was one of the key things that we saw was that in addition or beyond the speed gains that people were both feeling and they were seeming to get from how they were using the tool, we also saw benefits in terms of all these other ways that contribute to productivity like flow, fulfillment, satisfaction, and so on. I have a question about the methodology of the survey itself. Share with listeners about when this survey was actually presented to the study participants. For example, was this more of a relational survey where you were asking participants to reflect back on the use, their prior use of Copilot, or was this more of an in-the-moment or journal or diary type study, which you've run in the past, that was more asking developers right in the moment or right after they use the tool to reflect? Yeah. I mean, I will be honest, I would have loved to do it in the moment way, but there's always trade-offs that we need to think about, right? We're trying to preserve people's flow. And so kind of like interrupting them in the moment as they're using the tool is always a, a trade-off we need to keep in mind. So what we did was that we asked people to reflect on their use of Copilot up to that point. And we had information to tell us and we weighted things accordingly in terms of how long they had been using the tool. We didn't ask them to estimate that for us, but we were asking them to reflect on their experience with Copilot thus far. This was an email that we sent out to folks that were in the technical preview with the survey. The survey, I think, was around... Five minutes was designed to be around five minutes, but we also saw from the completion that's almost as long as it took. For listeners who are more interested in the findings of the study, we'll put this on the show notes, but they can go to the article you published on the GitHub blog or the original paper itself. Last question I want to ask you about this study was what was most surprising to you and, and what were the reactions or what was surprising to the other researchers on your team? Yeah, so... To me, what was surprising, it was something that I was expecting, and yet it was surprising when I saw the actual percentages. So I was expecting, it was part of our hypotheses, right? That's why we designed the survey in a particular way. I was expecting that people are going to respond that they do find that Copilot, for example, you know, when they use it, they spend less time searching. 
or that they stay more in the flow or that they're more fulfilled with their jobs. Just because I was theory informed, I put that in the survey and I was expecting that to come back as a result. What I was not expecting was the rate of responses, right? So the, how high the percentages were when people were reporting these benefits. That I found pretty surprising. And I think that all the people that I talked to in our product organization at the time, when I was delivering the survey results to them and I was presenting the results, I think that one of the things that they consistently commented on was that we had 60-something percent of people saying that when they're using Copilot, they feel more fulfilled with their job. The comment that I kept getting from them was that, so are you telling me that this is not just a tool that people use to just make them go faster? This is also something that makes them feel better about the work that they're doing and the job that they're in. And I think this is something that generalized with my team and the other researchers on my team as well. I'm currently working with a team that has very, folks that are very strong quantitative researchers. They were the ones that had done all the instrumentation of the telemetry that I mentioned. So a lot of how they think about evidence was specifically on what we can track, right? What our logs say. And so they also found it very surprising to see that there are benefits in this tool that they had never thought about, even though there were the people that were making the tool and they were intending it to be a productivity tool. They had just not thought about all these other ways that they can help people feel and be productive. What you're describing is so interesting because it mirrors the same dichotomy that exists in the industry when we think about and try to understand developer productivity, this dichotomy between looking at it purely from a quantitative and uh, task or activity-oriented view versus thinking about the human aspects of fulfillment, satisfaction, et cetera. So really interesting to hear that that same sort of divide exists within the research community as well. I want to move on to this second study you ran, which I find really fascinating. But before we describe the study, I'd love to understand, you'd done this first survey study, then you opted to do this other study. Why do another study? What was the motivation? And how did the idea for it formalize? Yeah. So one of the things that came up in the first study, as we were looking at the percentages, there was something that caught everyone's eye, which was that we had 96% of people. And what's striking about that is that that means it's almost everyone saying that, right? 96% of people saying that they complete repetitive tasks faster when they're working with Copilot. And we thought that what then comes next, the natural next step, is to measure how much faster are we talking about, which is something that we cannot get from a survey. We can ask people in a survey, how much faster do you think this tool is making you? But we also know that humans are not very good at estimating how much you know, they're good at telling you that they think that there's something here, that they do feel that this is helping them be faster, but not how much. So the second study was specifically focused on that, was creating the conditions of having people work on a somewhat repetitive tasks and understanding what kind of speed gain are they getting from using Copilot. And what you're referring to, of course, and this is how it's described in your paper, is a controlled experiment, which is kind of research parlance. Can you explain to us what is a controlled experiment and how is it distinct from other types of studies which may be related? Yeah. A controlled experiment, like more strict research terms, means that you're trying to keep everything else equal between two conditions and only change one thing. 
And so controlled refers to you have control for every other factor except the one thing that you're trying to study the effect of. It means that if you have what we call a treatment group where you have them do the thing that you're studying and a control group that doesn't, and you contrast the two. So that's high level what a controlled experiment is. So in this case, what it would turn into for us was that we had 95 professional developers. We wanted to see how different developers are in completing in terms of speed, or they are completing a task with and without Copilot. So that meant that we split the 95 developers randomly into two groups. We gave them the same task as part of our you know, controlling the conditions. We gave them the same task, which was writing a, an HTTP server in JavaScript, which is a somewhat repetitive task. And one of the two groups used Copilot to complete the task and the other one did not. And we measured how long it took on average each group to complete the task. I want to ask you about how you chose tasks, because I can just imagine there must have been so much discussion and debate about what the task should be. So how did you arrive at writing an HTTP server in JavaScript? And what were some of the yeah. alternatives you considered? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've kind of blocked it now <laughs> because it just took so long. I was not expecting it. I've done controlled experiments before. This was the first time that choosing the task took so long. I think the way we chose this task was we were trying to, what was surfacing from the survey and the research and the feedback that we had heard in interviews and so on was that Copilot seemed to be, and that was our hypothesis as well, that Copilot seemed to be extra helpful when it came to boilerplate repetitive types of tasks. We were looking for a task that is likely, you know, it's something that happens often enough that you need to do the same thing again and again, but not too often that you remember every single detail about it, right? And so we brainstormed with the team, went back and forth. We landed on that. It took us quite a while. I think it took us over like a month and a half to just come up with it, with the task. I think it is a good representation. It is by no means a universal representation of repetitive tasks for boilerplate or development tasks in general. It was very much specifically formulated for that particular study. I think it was a good choice in the end. But yeah, our criterion was, let's define what we mean by repetitive and let's find tasks that kind of fall in that category. Then what were the findings and how much faster were, or slower maybe, <laughs> were developers who use Copilot? Yes. We looked at two things, actually. One was whether there's a difference between the two groups, the one that was using Copilot and the one that was, wasn't, in terms of completing the task at all. And we saw a little bit of a difference. So we call that the success rate for the task. So for the team that used Copilot, 78% of that group fully completed the task versus 70% in the group that didn't use Copilot. And then for the completion time itself, we found that the group that used Copilot completed the task 55% faster. So that was a pretty, like it meant that less than half the time that it took the group that was not using Copilot to complete the same task. It's one of those results that has kind of like was picked up everywhere. And I can see why. And it's the sort of result that not only sounds good, but then it also kicks off a lot of other thinking in our team in terms of what could that mean 
when you start aggregating it potentially to not just one developer, but a team, an organization, an economy, and so on. And I find that that's to be the honestly the most fascinating part of doing that research is that it kicked off thinking afterwards about the implications of having that sort of, of productivity gain. This is a research project that we also partnered with the Microsoft Office of the Chief Economist with and MIT. And that allowed us to be able to do some finer grained analysis from like an economist perspective to see whether in the group that was benefiting from Copilot, so the our treatment group, the group that used Copilot to complete the task, whether in there, given the demographics we had collected, whether there were groups that were benefiting more or less. And we did find, which I also found interesting as a result, we did find that less experienced programmers benefited more, which means that they were relatively even faster than their cohort of the group that was using Copilot. Again, it's food for thought, which I feel that is even more interesting as a result of the statistics that came out of this project. I found your point about thinking about the implications of this at the organizational level to be really interesting. It's a really good leeway into the next part of this conversation where I want to talk about the practical implications of this. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I just came back from this conference where although this research exists, leaders seem to still be struggling to make these types of calculations or justifications within their own companies. And so I want to try to share insight and advice to these leaders. One of the things I've observed as I've spoken to people across the industry is a dose of skepticism about AI tools. We're all inundated with the press and the hype around them. But I was talking to a leader recently who said he's a head of developer productivity at a large organization, that to him, he thinks all this AI stuff is really a bunch of hype. And you know the only thing that's really impactful is chat gpt so i'd be curious to get your perspective on you know to what degree you agree and disagree with this and and your view on just the skepticism that exists yeah so i'm one of those people that first of all think that skepticism is healthy i don't know if it's my training as a researcher or what it is but i feel that it's absolutely healthy to have a degree of skepticism and think things through. I will also say that it's absolutely natural at the beginning of anything big and new, like the beginning of anything big and new feels like it's all hype, right? And then one of the challenges is how long does it take us to see whether it is hype or it's something that is more permanent? I would like to contextualize a little bit kind of the statement that you heard. First of all, ChatGPT is... One of those things that has captured everybody's imagination and attention, right? It became so pervasive and it's such a general purpose tool that I would be surprised and shocked if somebody didn't mention it as the AI tool or the one that they find helpful. But it's a tool in the sense that it needs to match the purpose, right? So ChatGPT is one of those tools that is general purpose, is conversational. We found wrong a lot of the time, right? Because it doesn't, it's not a source of truth, but it is predicting what comes next. And so that makes it a good fit for some cases, but not for everything. One of the things that I hear the most often, and I've tried it out for myself that way as well, is a brainstorming tool. It is really good as a brainstorming tool where the accuracy matters less. Because if I'm trying to brainstorm something and somebody says something that is incorrect or inaccurate, 
that's still food for thought for me and is likely to move my thinking forward. And that's what you want in brainstorming. But for more specialized cases of which coding is, I just don't see, and that's not also what we hear in terms of feedback that ChatGPT is it. I will also say that today we're talking about code completion, right? That's not where things are going to stay. And this is something that we're discussing at GitHub and in the innovation team that I'm in. As we talk about developers want to use AI to do more complex work and complete bigger tasks, then chat interaction is not even it. So never mind chat GPT as that particular tool, but just like a chat is not necessarily going to be the way that you complete larger chunks of work. It is relevant to the point that we were making earlier that, you know, at the beginning of Hive is all we can tell that something new is. Not everybody is ready at the same time for a big change. A great book that I read, I think, last year was, it was called Crossing the Chasm from Jeffrey Moore. And it says on the cover that it is a marketing tool, but personally, I found it like it was an exceptional book that talks about how innovations get adopted. And it has this incredible like distribution, a chart that basically shows what we already talk about a lot of the time, that innovations diffuse at different times and people adopt them at different times. So you have the innovators and you have the early adopters, but then you also have the pragmatists and the conservatives and the the skeptics. So it could be that the person you talked to was in a category that is going to be convinced later, or perhaps will never, never be convinced. Not everybody is ready for change at the same time. However, I would hope that, and I would urge leaders to look a little bit at this particular time that we're in and with AI getting adopted as quickly as it is right now, looking at it from the perspective of the bigger picture and If this was to be something that ends up not being Hive, which is something that we very much believe, where would you like to see yourself in this picture of adopting the innovation, especially given how others around you, for example, your competitors, are adopting innovations? I think it complicates things a little bit in terms of decisions and so on, but it's good food for thought for leaders. Let's now put ourselves in the shoes of a developer productivity leader or any engineering leader who is excited about GitHub Copilot or similar tools and is interested in bringing this type of tool into their organization. And we've talked about the skepticism that probably exists within the organization. Later, I want to talk about maybe some fear that may exist in parts of the organization. But in terms of actually practically getting something like this started at an organization, in your view, what's the best way to trial and begin advocating for bringing in a tool like this? Yeah. And I would say we at GitHub and especially our whole product organization talks a lot with large enterprises that do want to run trials or co-pilot and kind of roll out adoption. So there's a couple of things to think about. One is like methodologically speaking, how you go about it. And I think another one is about how to set expectations. And a lot of the time, like leaders might only look at the one, right? Like bring in the right methodologies and the right expertise to do the trial, but not necessarily think about how to set the expectations. So I think one of the things that I would say 
upfront is that I hear people talk about, you know, the return on investment and the benefit that they can expect and so on, as if it's one single metric or one universal concept. And it is not very much like any other developer experience initiative or any other digital transformation initiative. As a leader and as an organization, you have something that you're trying to improve that led you to thinking about adopting a particular tool. And without answering that question, what is it that you're looking to improve? It's very hard to find the right metrics that answer your question about whether this is something that provides you with enough benefit. So I would set that as expectation. A leader in an organization will need to define first what it is that they're looking to improve that brought them to potentially adopting Copilot. And then if we start thinking about metrics and methods and how to go about it, I would say that there's probably also no single metric that you can go after when you think about improvements in productivity, improvements in performance. We mentioned the survey earlier, right? So the survey that we use to assess the productivity improvements with Copilot. This is a survey that we now like give as a raw survey to customers. And we say, you start before you do your trial, you start with the survey, and then you start rolling out Copilot. And then you go back and you rerun the survey a few months later and you know a few months after that. And I think... Since we're on methods, for me, the best method or the best return on investment that you can get on methods is going to be with something like a developer survey. I'm aware and I know and I have used other methods as well, like the controlled experiment we just talked about or telemetry analysis and large scale instrumentation. Those are considerably more expensive efforts, expensive in time, in money, in expertise. and I don't know that necessarily, I know that you're doing good work around that to kind of like spread the word that that's the case, but I don't know that necessarily leaders know when they're asking for the objective data and the robust data and the telemetry analysis that they're necessarily aware of the full effort of that. So for methods, what I would say, developer surveys is probably the best tool and they're quickly becoming best practice. And in terms of expectations, I would say start with what do you want to improve? And with the expectation that there's not going to be a single metric that is going to get you there either. This advice of using a, a baseline and a, another follow-up survey after an evaluation of a tool, I think is really specific and actionable for folks I've talked to. Any advice you have on actually doing that? I'm sure you've seen examples of this in practice, just as far as timing, just how to even talk about the results with stakeholders, any concrete advice you'd have on how to actually do this? So I think before I do, I probably need to say a couple more things about setting another set of expectations, which is how long this is going to take. One of the things that I hear a lot is, you know, we're going to try this for a month or two and see how it goes. And there's just not enough time. This is AI, I think in general, Copilot, it takes some getting used to, and it's not so much that as it is, it gets, it, it takes some effort and some training, which is one actionable like piece of advice that I would give when you start rolling out a tool like this. 
you have to prepare the ground in terms of education of users and training of users because it takes a little bit of effort to get to use Copilot to its full potential, which is really what you want to do if you want to be assessing if this is a good good tool for you. And that's not going to happen overnight. So piece of advice is some patience is needed here in terms of when you introduce it and how long you wait to see results. You asked about the timing. I have seen examples. So one example that is top of mind for me, I saw it recently, and I would say it was the most thorough evaluation of Copilot I've seen in any of our, our customers, is a tech company in England. And they wanted, I talked with their CTO who had all these questions that you're talking about, right? How do we go about it? How long? And so on. And they had you know, some metrics that they were getting in terms of the numbers of PRs and how long it takes for PRs to get merged. And they were thinking, that's probably what we're going to use, right? And after we talked about it, they decided they were already bought in the idea of doing the surveys. Their questions were more how long between survey iterations. So with them, we talked about doing one as a baseline and then doing one every four weeks. This was a six-month trial that they were going to start with, right? So that means that it gives them a lot of time to actually to see trends. The incredible thing was that they decided to use their retrospectives that they did with their teams to revisit how the copilot adoption is going. And they found that to be the strongest signal that they could, like layering that on top of what they're getting from the surveys is ultimately, I think, the thing that convinced them. I believe that at some point they stopped paying attention to the, you know, PR completion time type of metrics. And I think I think that that's, that was a, a healthy choice for them. I will also say that that's another expectation to set, that companies are different. Engineering teams and engineering systems are different. So one company's results that come in in like three months can take a year in another one. They could be a different level. They could be a different number. It is a tool that needs some tailoring to the purpose that you have for it. And so all this advice that we're talking about, you know, do surveys, but make sure that you provide enough time. Make sure that you're asking the same questions every time. It's all practical advice, but I think there needs to be some kind of homework, for lack of a better word, that leaders need to do to make it work for them. Really interesting to, to hear the example of integrating into retros, and I can see how that would provide a lot more qualitative insight on top of the survey data that's being collected. I want to ask you another question about how you take all this data that we're talking about because when I look at the first study you conducted, for example, those percentage findings were really compelling. But what's missing and what I hear from a lot of leaders is then how do you translate that into dollars, right? Like how do you go to a finance person or the CFO and say, this is making us more money or saving us more money than it costs? Any advice? And I know there's not like a obvious answer to that question, but what's your view on how to approach that problem? Yeah. So first of all, I will say that it's not one person's job to make that translation, right, into money. And the other thing that I'm going to come to is that I don't know that that's necessarily the right thing to do. I know that's typically what organizations do for tools. Eventually, they want to translate them to dollars and cents, but I think there's a little bit more to this one. So 
it goes back to what we said earlier about what is it that you're trying to improve. Without an answer to that, we don't know what metrics to look at, or we could be looking at the wrong metrics, which means you don't see a result or you see the wrong result in front of you. It's, it's the wrong number. And then you, you, of course, translate it wrong into dollars a set. So that kind of focus on improvements that need to happen and how this tool is going to drive those improvements is table stakes, right? That's the, the essential first part. I will say that's another expectation to add to our kind of growing list of expectations. We should also be aware of Copilot, for example, is a tool that works when developers are actively coding. And research shows us that developers are actively coding less than half of their time, right? So that's an improvement that can really help the organization move forward in terms of dollars and cents. The Copilot is just is going to help you identify as a problem, right? You will probably notice eventually that people are not spending enough time in their editor to make full use of the boost that the Copilot brings. When I say it needs intention from the organization and the leaders, it needs intention in terms of thinking about metrics, thinking about improvements a little bit more holistically. Earlier, you mentioned the importance of you know, proper training and education when rolling out a product like this. I did want to ask you, I have heard leaders recently talk about having trouble or not feeling fully confident in just the adoption of these types of tools within the organization. What in your view, is the best practice for introducing and rolling out a tool like Copilot across an organization? Yes, I think so. Preparing the ground and providing training is really key. Like after giving it enough time, I think is the most key thing. One of the things that we have seen work time and time again is because what happens here is adoption in organization is very organically driven, as happens with tool with developer tools a lot of the time, is very organically driven by individuals who adopt the tool and then they go into their workplace and say, I want to continue using that tool because I've seen how more efficient and productive and happy it makes me. So one of the things that we have seen be successful is that first wave of individuals who adopted it and then advocated for it in the organization becoming essentially the trainers for others for some time. I think it eases the tool into how teams work and eases the team into adopting the tool without anything seeming like too radical or too top-down an approach because those don't always work. Well, this has been a great discussion on tips and advice and, and practical examples of how organizations are advocating for and rolling out tools like this. I think listeners will find this really valuable. I want to move on to kind of larger questions that seem to come up a lot when I talk with leaders. And the first one is just sort of the obvious ubiquitous question of in what ways is AI really going to impact the developer experience? We, of course, again, are hearing, getting so much marketing on this, but can you give us some like vivid perspective into what really is going to be the impact of these types of tools? Yeah. So I am going to leverage my perspective as someone who's part of an innovation team. Our team is tasked with like looking forward and trying to kind of outline and prototype what the future of software development is going to be and how to leverage opportunities like AI and the best and latest capabilities. So I'm definitely going to leverage that. 
the question is about how AI is going to really impact the developer experience. Let me start by saying how it's impacting it right now, which was a lot of what we just talked about, right? Which is, it's very much a second pair of hands for developers. If they have, you know, undesirable, more drudge work tasks that they have to do, it helps them, AI tools right now, helps them get through these tasks faster. So it brings them the delight of having to do less of that boring, repetitive work. And it also saves them time. Right? This is this is what we have seen so far. And it is changing the developer experience from that perspective, both the satisfaction aspect of productivity and also the speed gain and the time savings part of productivity. I think that what's coming next is AI tools that are going to be able to be, instead of being a second pair of hands, being more of a second brain. And that means helping with more complex tasks help developers tackle complexity and saving them more mental capacity. I'm a big fan of that. If you if you let me talk about this, I'll be talking about this for hours. But one of the things that comes up again and again is how with software systems growing so fast and every company becoming a software company, essentially there's so much complexity, never mind the overabundance of information, we just cannot fit it in our brains anymore. Right? And it's not just developers, all humans have, have that challenge and ultimately will have that challenge. But let's focus on developers at the moment. They are working with more and more complex systems that are getting bigger and bigger and maintaining the mental model of systems in their heads to be able to expand it, to maintain it and so on just becomes a huge challenge. And it's, I think, the next frontier for AI it's like, okay, it saved us the time. Now it's going to ma- save us some mental effort and some mental capacity. A lot of what we are seeing as trends in AI also agrees with that. So we're seeing natural language gaining more and more ground as a programming language, right? Which removes a lot of complex notation and so on that, that people need to keep in their brains. We see... AI agents that are at the moment, you know, they're able to complete bigger tasks on behalf of users and they are able to work at different levels of autonomy. So we're seeing all these trends like vision models are coming, right? Or are almost here. So these are all capabilities that are going to mean that AI can now be used for way more complex and impactful work. And what that will mean for the developer experience is that developers get a lot more help in dealing with complexity. And the way we see it is that they're going to become the architects of systems. They're going to be constructing things with AI. And that's why I said earlier that that's just a a paradigm for how software development is going to be done in like a year, two years, three years. It is going to be strikingly different. So getting started with Copilot to kind of get your bearings in terms of working with AI and as a way to more naturally transition into what's coming next seems like the real benefit or part of the benefit besides the dollars and cents. Really interesting to get a teaser of what is to come with AI-based developer tools. The other fun question I get all the time is, 
what are the implications on how we measure productivity? I was having a conversation with Nicole Forsgren a few weeks ago, and she said something like, you know, this is going to finally put a nail in the coffin on measuring lines of code. <laughs> if you know, we're re- using tools that literally generate lines of code for us. Another interesting angle on this is, you know, data analysis or even collection, you know, using AI-based approaches to collect feedback or insights from developers or analyze their feedback. So curious to get your view on that question. First of all, I really like, I very much align with this nail in the coffin of lines of code comment. Yes, one can hope that that's where this is going. And I think that it is where that is going because those are measures of activity, right? And when you introduce AI, you know, today is Copilot presenting you with lines of code that you accept and then move to the next ones. Tomorrow is going to be whole task. So activity becomes, it was already muddled, and I think it becomes even more muddled when you you have AI in the mix. So I do expect that it's going to be the end of some of these surface level metrics when it comes to activity. I think that what we have seen so far in the research that we've done in terms of effect kind of guides us where to focus on next in terms of measurements. I think things like flow are going to become fundamental, right? It's going to be the foundational thing that we look at and try to measure as an expression of how this AI tool helped me. I think things like switching costs, I mentioned how little time developers spend in the editor, which is we've seen from kind of day in the life type of research studies. And they spend so little time in the editor for a multitude of reasons, some of which have to do with just like switching tasks or switching tools, right? They have to go to Stack Overflow to look for something or they have to go to a meeting and so on. So any help that AI provides, and like it could be Copilot when it comes to coding, it could be other AI tools that you're also using in conjunction, right? Let's summarize your meetings or summarize your emails and so on. Switching costs, I think, like task switching, context switching are also going to be a big, you know, good candidates in terms of what to to measure to express productivity. I think that cognitive load is also going to be one of those. I just mentioned I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And I think we'll need to do some work to figure out the right metrics for those because we don't necessarily have or we're going to have to do the work to look for the right metrics from other fields that have figured out cognitive load and how to measure it. But yeah, I think that cognitive capacity or like mental energy saved, flow, those sorts of things like time in the editor, switching costs, these are going to be the next wave of productivity metrics, which is a really good thing. Can't wait. Irini, this has been a really insightful conversation starting with a deep dive on your recent research and then practical advice for leaders trying to bring in tools like this and then your thoughts on some of the larger looming questions that we hear all the time. Thanks so much for your time today and coming on the show. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for giving the platform, right, to spread the word for some of these things and kind of get the guidelines and the thinking out there. Thank you very much. This was wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, you can find detailed show notes and other content at our website, getdx.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. 
please also consider rating our show since this helps more listeners discover our podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you in the next episode.